Our scripture reading this evening is Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. It's found on page 1029 of your pew Bibles. And in connection to Matthew 5, we will be reading the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32, found on page 237 of your Forms and Prayers book. The topic that we are thinking about this evening, meditating on in God's Word, or perhaps better put, the topic we wish to hear God speak upon this evening, is why we obey obedience. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, your children have gathered We have gathered here with eager expectation to hear your word, not only read but proclaimed. And we pray then for he who speaks that it would be right and true, the the correct interpretation of your perfect word, and that we would hear and respond to it. And particularly we think of obedience itself and, and why we seek to do good, and we pray we would rightly understand why we would do that and why we would serve you. And may it foster in us a greater desire to serve you, as well as a greater joy for what you have accomplished. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to reread verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And now we read from the Heidelberg Catechism. As it summarizes God's word, the teaching of God's word concerning works. Lord's Day 32. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ, without any merit of our own, Why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, and that he may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ." Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. The sermon title for this message is Good Works, the Why Helping the How. 
good works, the why helping the how. And I wanted to explain that, and really the intent behind that is, is understanding why would help us with its performance. Understanding why we would do good would help us to do good. Understanding why helping us how, helping us do the actual action. Does knowing why really matter? I'm sure you've been caught in those situations with a younger child where you end up in one why piled on top of another. As they reach that age and they, they want to understand and, and every explanation doesn't seem to be good enough. There's, there's always the next why coming. You might hear something like, why do the trees change color? And, and you try to say, well, there's seasons change and it gets cold and, and then the leaves change colors and, and they fall down. And then, and then, well, why? And then you can find very quickly that you might not know as much as you think because you're thinking, well, I, I really don't know why. Or I've done this. You, you go way above their heads and, and you know you are, but you're thinking, well, I'll, I'll give them the answer. And so why do change, trees change color? Well, the seasons change, temperature drops and days get shorter. Trees get less direct sunlight, and the chlorophyll in the leaves breaks down. The lack of chlorophyll reveals yellow and orange pigments that were already in the leaves, but masked during the warmer months. Darker red leaves are the result of a chemical change. Sugars that can get trapped in the leaves produce new pigments that weren't part of the leaves in the growing season. Makes sense? And then you all know what's coming. But why? Does knowing why really matter? Does it help? You know, you might think that about this topic, even obedience. Does it really matter why we would know the reasons behind obedience? Or is, or is it more important to just obey? Is it more important to do these works, to be obedient, than it is to understand why? It's a fair question. But the answer to that question reveals your understanding of God himself, reveals your understanding of the gospel. You see, to, to answer that question and, and, and say, no, it's more important that you just do the works, well, that puts all the emphasis on the works themselves. That's assuming that these works are, are inherently valuable, are, are worthy before the Lord, so you don't need to know why you do them, just do them. That's more important. It's actually quite insightful to ask someone, why do you do good? To even ask someone who may be an unbeliever that question. Why do you do good? That's it's actually a, a very foreign question to an unbeliever. What really is the reason that they would do good works? And their answer will reveal a lot about them. Or even if this were a stranger, their answer would reveal a lot to you. To, to say, why do good, and, and, and receive some kind of answer like, well, I feel really great when I do good. I feel like I'm really making a difference. It just it makes it makes my day better to do good. It's a very selfish motivation behind doing good, isn't it? And according to God, that very motivation, that very reason behind your obedience nullifies it to be a good work even at the start. Or if you receive some answer that that person didn't seem to give any religious understanding, but what if you ask someone that question, why do you do good? And, and they say, well, because I'm trying to get to heaven. I'm trying to do my best, trying to be acceptable to God. Well, what you see there is there's some religion, but there's a distortion. There's a distorted view of works righteousness and that we in our obedience can, can achieve something before God or at least, at least retain something before God on our own merit. 
And if you were to receive an answer, why do you do good? Well, I love the Lord and I want to please him. Well, now you start seeing the answer of true faith. It's not just a question we should ask a stranger or an unbeliever. It's a question we need to ask ourselves, that you need to ask yourself personally. Why do I do good? Why do I obey? And hopefully what we would see here, just like we might instruct our children, is the reasons for our obedience to the Lord, which would, which would make it more fervent, which would stoke our desire to obey, to do good. Again, understanding the, the correct reason. And, and you see that even in the question, on, of the, of the question and answer of the Lord's Day. It begins in question and answer 86. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own... So all that precedes the question, why do good? Because it's, it's, again, a fair question. If we're not saved because of our works, if our works do not bring us any closer to God, then why do them? Why obey? We will see that as we go through this answer, understanding the benefits of obedience. And that's our first point, deceiving the benefits of obedience The Catechism here begins its third and final section. If you remember the breakdown of the Catechism, sin, salvation, service, or guilt, grace, gratitude, this is that third section. And in this section of salvation or gratitude, we see, or the service or gratitude in that section is the the explanation of the law and the Lord's Prayer. And the explanation of the law comes in this whole section because it isn't what we stand on for our meriting salvation. It is rather a responsive service to the Lord. But it brings with it its own benefits. And understanding these benefits will explain then why we do good, why we seek to obey. That could in many ways be how we would summarize this message itself. Understanding the benefits of obedience or better service. Understanding the benefits of obedience for better service, or we could put it as our theme, knowing why we obey reveals a true understanding of the gospel and motivates further obedience. Knowing why we obey reveals a true understanding of the gospel and motivates further obedience. We're going to go through five reasons taken from the the catechism question and answer for why Christians obey. And I want to say, even before going into these reasons, there's an elevation to the worthiness of Christian service, even in the question itself. Why, why is that? Because the question has already asked, since we don't merit it, and it's Christ, why do we obey? And, and so every answer is coming to us from the foundation, from the ground, that we're not doing this because we must save ourselves. We're not doing this so that we can garner more love from God. We're doing this because we love him. You see how it, it, it immediately elevates what Christian good work and service is. It's not just the performance. And that's, that's starting to answer that question. Wouldn't it just be better to obey rather than understand? Well, that, the answer is absolutely no. The answer is that we must understand to obey correctly. So we go through these five reasons. The first reason, because we are being renewed by the Spirit. Because we are being renewed by the Spirit. This is why we obey. Now why would that be? 
How do we obey knowing that we're being renewed by the Spirit? The Catechism explains, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, and so the idea is, having done this already, he's now renewing us by the Spirit into his image. There's no point to obey and to do good works if you you don't have the Spirit residing within you. Why? Because you're incapable of doing a good work without the Spirit. It is the Spirit who works the good works in you. It's the Spirit who's been given to God's people that transforms and renews their life, that sanctifies them and, and does the, what's been gifted to us beforehand. It is the Holy Spirit who performs that in us. And so telling someone who doesn't have the Spirit to obey is completely worthless unless it's attached to that call to repent, to turn, To in faith grasp the Lord, that's part of repent and obey, repent and follow the Lord. But if we don't have the Spirit, there would be no ability to perform a good work. Sort of like this. Use this as an illustration. You wouldn't clean and detail your car on the way to the junkyard, where you're going to drop off your clunker and have it smashed or just sit there until it rots and falls away. What would be the point of fine-tuning it and detailing it and cleaning it when that's its destination? Well, that's ridiculous. It's foolish. There would be no point in that. But does it make sense to detail and clean your car on the way to a car show? Well, the answer is, of course it does. You see, the Spirit of the Lord being in us means he's bringing us somewhere. He's bringing us to a destination. He's bringing us to glory. And this is a reason we obey, because the Spirit is in us. Because what is true of us is that we are heading to glory itself, and the Spirit dwells within us. God dwells within us. His very presence makes us obey, because he is holy. But his very presence allows us to obey. Gives us the ability to obey. Scripture commonly calls obedience from the vantage point of who we are in Christ, of what's been done for us already. Colossians 3, 1-5 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Doing good, putting sin to death, is a result of who we are in Christ already. And so this is, this is an encouragement to us. Why obey? What's, what's the meaning and reason, the motivation behind that obedience? Well, first, because the Spirit dwells in us. This is really Christ calling the product to match the description. The product to match the description. We are described as those who have been made right by Christ. We are justified. We are considered righteous. This is the description of a Christian, but the actual product in our hearts is being sanctified or being made righteous by the Spirit so that our product, us, ourselves, our being, will match that description. And that is why we obey, firstly. Secondly, we do good works because we want to show our thankfulness to God. We obey and we do good works because we want to show our thankfulness to God. 
That is the response of gratitude for what's been given for us. And this is a primary motivation for all that we do. It's, it's not coming again from what we might achieve or what we might get from God himself. It's knowing what he's done in us already and responding in thanksgiving and gratitude. It's the highest level of performing a good deed for someone. It's not in payment. It's not because we'll receive something, something from them. It's not to put them in our debt. It's for the sheer pleasure and love that we have for this person. The sheer pleasure we have in God, the sheer desire we have to thank him for all that he's done for us is reason enough for perfect obedience. It's that prime reason that we would do it. Our hearts become hearts of flesh and our, instead of stone, and our heartfelt response is to desire then to show gratitude to him. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you keep my commandments. You love me, you keep my commandments. This is how we show that we love God, not how we make him love us. Christ does that. We show we love him. We show our love for him when we do that. Even in our passage, verse 16, we let our light shine before others. We do good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. That is our desire. Scripture is full of examples of, of the Psalms where there is an outpouring of this praise and thanksgiving for the mighty acts of God that he's done to redeem and save. And so we do good because we are thankful. We want to express that gratitude. Thirdly, we do good works to praise God. Now, this is related, but it's slightly, it has a slight different nuance to it. We do good works to praise God and the last point, it was to show thanksgiving. It was to show gratitude. This is to magnify his name. Now, it is true that being thankful is an act of praise. It does magnify God's name. But this is just the idea of, of bringing him and his name honor. Bringing his name honor and praise. John 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We bring him praise because we're bearing much fruit. And, and the world sees that. They see the fruit that we as God's people would bear and then bring praise to the Lord. Because if I say it like this, like it or not, the honor of God is, is affected by our deeds and activity. Consider that. God has taken his holy name above everything else. Of all impurity, his name of power and grace and love and justice and all that is good. And he places it on us. Places on us in baptism. Gives us his very name. Ties himself to us. And so our own conduct will affect the honor of God's name itself. The third commandment is to, to bring no dishonor on God's name, to not dishonor the name of God. Well, the positive there is to honor it. And we don't honor it in our voice, in our words alone, in our worship. We honor it in our deeds and praise the Lord through it. Magnify he who has taken up residence in ourselves. That's why, as Matthew 5.16 says, we magnify the works of God, that we let our light shine so that he is glorified. The Father in heaven is glorified. And, and doesn't that just give so much meaning to everything we do? I like 
thinking of this verse, especially as, as the holiday season comes around. The holiday season is often associated with good memories. It's not for all of us. Sometimes the holiday season is very difficult, brings up painful memories, but for many, it can be a time associated with the, the pleasures of the world, of the pleasures of God, the gifts that he gives, a time of great rejoicing. And this verse comes to my mind in those contexts of celebrations, thinking of thanks to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, the reason that verse fits so well is it's acknowledging that even in drinking and eating, even in the good things of life, there's the capacity to bring honor to God. And that's what this point is saying. By us, in everything that we do, being connected to our Father in heaven, it means we can give him glory by the attitude in which we go to school. How we sit in the car. Are we complaining to mom and dad as we're going to school? How we listen and obey them. How we honor our parents. It, it matters for how adults go to work. And the attitude that you have as you are heading there when no one else could see even. Or your attitude when you're there. Are you one who is a salt to the world that you sprinkle a bit of salt in the workplace and, and people would see you and honor you, your, your Father in heaven by your association with him? They're, they would see there's something different about him. They would even see that the honor of God himself is connected to how honorably you live your life. That's what we're called to do. You see, then, this, this just really stokes that desire to obey and to obey well. But for the correct motivation, not what we can earn, what we give to God in response to what he's given to us. So that's the third reason. Fourth, we do good works for assurance of our salvation. We do good works for assurance of our salvation. The Catechism says it in this way, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. Good works, as we do them, prove even to ourselves that there is new life within us. The Gospels speak of this, making this point with fruit and trees. Matthew seven seventeen and 18 says this, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, we must understand that uh, good fruit is not simply an external act. It contains with it the right motivations. And so even if, even if someone who doesn't believe in the Lord might do a good act, it's not truly good fruit. The right motivation needs to be there, the right reason. But when we see in ourselves the fruit as we perform it, we then have assurance that this is because we have been grafted into Christ, because we have been connected to the tree, to the tree of life itself, Christ. And when we are grafted as a branch that had been dead and plugged into the tree of life itself, now the tree, the branch grows and it blossoms and it produces fruit itself. And so we can be assured by our good works that we are indeed grafted into Christ. To have that assurance... By this fruit, I am assured of the sincerity of my faith and that I belong to God. This is what we see. Don't minimize the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 
We, we do speak, rightfully so, about mortifying sin that remains, about putting sin to death, about being aware of our sinful natures, rightly so. But don't let that cause the, the unwanted, unneeded casualty of not recognizing the work that the Spirit's doing in your life and praising Him for it and being thankful for it. Don't minimize what He does. The, the work of the Spirit in us is God's most grand work, taking those who had been unholy and set apart in an evil sense, and in a sense we didn't belong with God to make us belong with Him. This is what God himself highlights as the work to be praised, even above all others, is the work of redemption itself. And so don't minimize that. You know, we, we sense the Spirit work in us. Sometimes we use language that perhaps is, is incorrect. And we, we think of the Spirit's presence, and people might say such things like, God, God told me, or, or God spoke to me, or I, I, I really God felt God's hand pressing upon me to do this action. In all those ways, that's, that's, that's not the best way of forming it. At worst, we're not truly understanding how God works and revelation and all these things. But that, that is trying at times, poorly put, but to get at a truth that the Spirit acts in us and is for us, a sanctifying influence. It's amazing to think that in each of us who believe in God, the Spirit dwells and what He's doing is He's producing that fruit. And that we become so spiritual, we are those who have our every thought even shaped by the Word of God. You see, there's a wrong way to say, oh, God told me, and, and, and meaning in a sense that like God can mysteriously reveal some will to you. That's, that's an incorrect way of saying it. But through the Word of God and the Spirit's usage of that Word in our life, our very minds are shaped according to the Word of God, and so that it almost seems as if God is speaking to us because His Word has been so implanted in us that we respond in the right way. We, we know what God says, and, and it can't even be separated from our own thoughts at times because the Spirit has worked this in us. That we are quite literally thinking the thoughts of God after Him because of the Spirit's work through the Word in our life. That's amazing. It's amazing what God does in us. And it's amazing the confidence that we can then have and be assured, I am one of the Lord's. He works these things in me. My attitudes, my thought, my desires, my responses can become Spirit-shaped and even assure us of the salvation we have in God. Finally, fifth, why do we do good works? It's to bring others to Christ. To bring others to Christ. We could say it, why do we obey? Witnessing, evangelism. You see, all the other four are related to this one, but this highlights that idea that it's outward focused as well to evangelize. It's not just to, to let unbelievers see the honor of God. It's to, to bring them to a saving faith itself. First Peter 2, 11 and 12. First Peter 2, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. The idea then is that they would see what we are doing and, and think to themselves, there is something different about you. In fact, hopefully what they would say is, there is something divine about them. 
That doesn't mean we're, we are divine, but that we reflect God. They would be able to see there is a difference in this person and in their behavior, and they have something that I do not. They don't respond the way everyone else does. They don't speak the way everyone else does. They have a, an attitude of joy. They, they have a family in which they love their spouse and their kids. Their kids are honorable and respectful. There's something different about them. What is it? It allows us to explain that, you know, the, the difference between me and you is, is nothing in myself. It's in Jesus Christ, my Lord. That is how we witness, even according to our works, how we spend our money, what entertains us, all these things. To be funny without being vulgar. To be able to, to engage in conversation, to even be able to, to be humorous and yet not need to, to go down to the gutter to get there. To be caring without an ulterior motive. To be hardworking, unattached to greed and the love of money. It's what the world sorely needs. It needs a bunch of images of Christ in it. And that's us. Those are the reasons we do good. And all these reasons show us and motivate us properly. And they take obedience out of the realm of salvation earning and lead it to salvation revealing. They take good works and its motivation from self-preservation to God-praising. This is what should increase that desire. Then the Catechism moves to the second question and answer. We could call this consequences for disobedience. Consequences for disobedience. It asks that question, can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? We're continuing to answer the question, why do good? And here it's saying that if you do not do good, you will be judged. You will be condemned to hell itself, not because your works saved you, but because your works condemned you. Notice the difference. We, we can't be saved by our works. It's only Christ who, who saves us through his merit, but your works do condemn you. We're condemned already under Adam as our head, as the one who represented us. We are all guilty in him, but we are also doubly judged because of the works that we do in storing up wrath for ourselves when there's no repentance. So works, no, cannot save, but works do condemn and when there is no repentance, it shows that there is no true faith. Man's heart wants sin and salvation. But the one who has received salvation desires sin no more and puts it to death. There are many who want the sin and the Savior, and they either don't care that their behavior is wrong or that they try to take God's word and twist it. And to make what God has said is reprehensible to him and to say, no, this is good to us. They fashion a different God, in other words. And they serve that God. And their lifestyle, their obedience is acceptable to this false God that they have created. But it isn't the Lord they're serving. It isn't salvation they're finding. No, to those who sin in this way, there is only judgment the Catechism says, quoting from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, where it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Works matter, it reveals true faith. And unrepentant works just condemns us justly so. What does it say if, if your supposed faith isn't 
one that condemns its own perversion or lusts. That it's okay to live in these things, that it's okay to accept them. What does that say about faith? Or or can one say they live for God alone but seek an idol over God? Can one say they believe but be practicing unrepentant homosexuals say? Can, 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 that, that's a hot-button topic today. Can they say that? Can we say that, that God has accepted them? You see, there are so many churches that want to pride itself on being very inclusive. Let's gather them in. But their inclusivity is not God's. Who's included in the kingdom? Those in Christ. And how do you know who's in Christ? How do you know you are? Your faith produces fruit. Truly repentant heart would turn away from sin. Like the same, who can continually steal and sin against God, violate his commandments in unrepentance and accept for God to receive them? Or who can choose drunkenness or alcohol over God and habitually fall into that and choose that as their God and not the true Lord and expect to be received You cannot. Those are the sins highlighted in 1 Corinthians 6. But it is true of all our sins. If your sin is more important to you than God, you have a different God. You always turn to Christ. These churches or these people who want to be that inclusive, they take and place a whole lot of emphasis and weight on a confession. On a mere confession, oh, I believe. They might even say, I believe in Jesus, but why does obedience matter? Because it proves whether that's real or not. The warnings in Scripture are real. Consequences to disobedience happen. We see it happen on earth. We see consequences of sin happen on earth as a foretaste of coming judgment as well. It's, it's not enough to be a wallflower Christian. To just hang there. Here I am, I belong, but to be a fruitless wallflower is not salvation. I read a, an article about this, a, a mega church that had asked congregants who did not volunteer or who did not give or participate in the life of the church to stop attending the church. Here's the, the article as I read it. Julie and Bob Clark were stunned to receive a letter from their church asking them to participate in the life of the church or worship elsewhere. They basically called us freeloaders, says Julie Clark, and we were freeloaders, says Bob Clark. In a trend that may signal rough times for wallflower Christians, megachurch faith community of Winston-Salem has asked non-participating members to stop attending. No more Mr. Nice Church, says the executive pastor, newly hired from Singular Wireless. Bigger is not always better. Providing free services indefinitely to complacent Christians is not our mission. Freeloading Christians were straining the church's nursery and facility resources and harming the church's ability to reach the lost, says the pastor. When your bottom line is saving souls, you get impatient with people who interfere with that goal. Faith Community sent polite but firm letters to families who attended church services and freebie events, but never volunteered, never tithed, and did not belong to a small group or other ministry. The church estimates that of its 8,000 regular attendees, only half have volunteered in the past three years, and a third have never given to the church. 
Before now, we made people feel comfortable and welcome and tried to coax them to give a little something in return, says a staff member. That's changed. We're done being the community nanny. Now, at the end of this article, it said, P.S., this is not a true story, though we wish it were. So it, it isn't true. This didn't happen. But perhaps many of us were sitting there thinking, you know, that makes a lot of sense, or perhaps we wish it were. But the reason I, I read this is because I actually think that postscript is a bit in error. Not because, not because that story happened in the news, actually. Not because that ever happened from this church. But you see, does that postscript not actually get at the truth of the matter as far as God is concerned? Doesn't God's word say that wallflower Christians, and what we would mean by that are, are those who, who claim it alone and have no fruit, no activity, no involvement in the church, no involvement with God, but yet claim it? Do they have a place in the kingdom of heaven? Do they have a place in God's church? So the story may be false, but that, that postscript is actually getting at the truth. There, this is a real thing. Not for that fake church, but for God himself. It, it, it isn't enough to live our life for ourself or for some other thing. We live our life for God. We obey because we love him. This shows a true faith. This shows a love for Christ and all that he's done. The benefits of obedience are vast and worthwhile. The consequences of disobedience are frightening and deadly. There's so much behind the question, why obey? And it's a question that must be answered correctly. And understand, we obey for the glory of God and our love for him. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you and are thankful for your word that so clearly spells out how we are saved and that we are saved in your Son alone, but as well your word that gives us the proper understanding of what a, a spiritual life is, what a true faith is. We thank you that you produce this life in your people. We pray that it would increase all the more in our hearts and that we would exit here with a greater desire to produce fruit and that, that the sunset of every day would see us draw closer to you than the sunrise. And Father, we pray that for not only ourselves, but for your Catholic universal church. We ask this in your name.